Everything that we do, we do in team. We try and do everything in team around the world. And Fred has brought a couple with them. So Manu and Marion, would you come up? I'm going to introduce them. Then they're going to say a little bit, and they're going to pray for Fred before he preaches. But this is Manu and Marion, and uh, I'll hand to you. They're part of Fred's church. Please spend some time doing tea and coffee afterwards, chatting to them, and finding a little bit more about that. But um, here you go. Um, well, thank you, everybody, for uh, welcoming us. Uh, it's really uh, inspiring to see what God is doing here in Crawley. And I just wanted to share uh, that in the Bible, it's written that we will recognize a um, disciple to, to the love they have for one another. And I really wanted to share that we, we really witnessed that here. Uh, it's been incredible just um, getting to know everyone, and uh, we can really feel the love you have for one another, but also other um, children of God. Uh, you've been really welcoming to us, and uh, special thanks for uh, Lisa and, and James, because your hospitality is incredible. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's the first time for me, and I think for many as well, visiting a church abroad. And it's really cool seeing that um, the army of God is is international, and there's really many of us. And sometimes, as um, a child of God, you can feel a bit alone or lonely, feeling like you're going against the world all the time. And it's encouraging seeing that there are so many of us actually in in the world uh, spreading um, seeds and trying to to run the race. So it's been really encouraging for us. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think Marion said everything, so <laughs> I'm just going to pray for Fred. <laughs> Let, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this church. Thank you for every people here. I want to pray you for our hearts, our here. Open it uh, and make your word uh, through, your heart, through our hearts. And I want to thank you because you said us, you said us to that uh, your words never has uh, no effect. It always in action. And um, thank you, Lord, for Fred for what he's doing, for who he is. And I want to pray him, pray for him, keep him during the the preaching. And uh, thank you for everything you, you you've done for us. Amen. Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. It's a great privilege to be with you. Vanessa sends a love for those who know her. And um, thank you so much, James and Lisa, for having us. It's always a joy to come here. Uh, We always leave a few pounds heavier. (laughs) But it's a wonderful joy. We really appreciate the friendship we have with you, the partnership we have um, yeah, we, we really love you guys. Very wonderful to hear what God is doing in, in Crawley. And we heard you guys hosted the leaders' time recently, and you did such a great job. So really thank you for doing that. We, we've hosted things before. We know how sacrificial it is. So really thank you for doing that. And it's wonderful to travel with Manu and Marion, and uh, it's been a real joy. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for what you shared. Okay, so we're going to talk about money this morning. The, uh, some, somebody said that the most sensitive part of a human anatomy is his wallet. 
So I just want to say, I'm not after your wallet, and James has not asked me to preach this. I just felt it would be helpful for you as a church. I think we also have a heart to make disciples. And Paul said to the, to the elders in Ephesus, I taught the whole counsel of God. So we don't want to ignore difficult subjects. We don't want to ignore sensitive subjects. I think it's very important for us to talk about money as it is to talk about everything else. And, uh, but especially so. Jesus spoke more on money than he did on heaven and prayer combined. So it's an important thing because we know, all of us, if we are honest, that money is something we grapple with on a regular basis. So I think it's important to bring clarity, to bring perspective, to bring God's teaching and God's design uh, to help us. God, Jesus came to set us free, didn't he? Including setting us free from the hold of materialism or the hold of money or the hold of things that are temporary because he wants to give us things that are eternal. And that's what we started with yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to re-preach it, but... But I think the first thing we need is an eternal perspective. If we think this earth, this earth, I'm French, I tend to put H's where they shouldn't be. <laughs> and sometimes I remove them where they should be. Um, if we think this earth is our destination and our home, we're going to live very small. And we're going to try and create the best paradise we can on earth. But actually the Bible says we are foreigners and aliens. We're just passing through. Our life is a mere 70, 80, or 120 years. But eternity is for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So let us not live for this earth, but let us keep an eternal perspective. Jesus said we are to lay up treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. And how we handle our money, our finances, our relationships here determine our treasures in heaven. And we have a massive privilege, every single one of us, to steward what God has entrusted to us. So we need to keep an eternal perspective. The second thing we need is faith. Because it is scary. When we look at the scriptures, when we look at how God calls us to live, we need faith. And Jesus was so gracious and so kind and full of empathy. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. Your life is worth way more than all those things. So Jesus calls us to live by faith and not by fear. If we live by fear, we're going to end up living smaller and smaller and smaller life. But if we live by faith, God is going to take us into a wide and a bigger inheritance. And it is scary, friends. And we are all in the same boat. But I want to talk this morning about putting God first. Just, we're going to talk about tithing, and we're going to talk about overgiving. But I think it's important to put God first. And I want to give you just some practical things that we can do. Maybe first steps, uh, or maybe an encouragement, if you're already doing that, to continue doing that, and maybe even go further. So... Let us read Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 21. And everything I say, I want to say, is submitted to James and Lisa. And um, if you have a problem with what I teach, please write me an email. 
If you have an encouragement, tell James and Lisa. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But everything is submitted to them. Okay. Luke 18, verse 18 to 21. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And let me just say, these things, we know we find them in the law. But it does not mean it's irrelevant, right? We're not justified by the law. We're justified by faith. But it doesn't mean the law is not good. You with me? Do not murder. I think it's still very much applicable today. (laughs) Right? Do not steal. I think it's a good thing. Honor your mother and father. Um, And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this man was given the most incredible opportunity. Jesus says, Sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. Jesus was wanted to take him into an inheritance that was huge. Right? There is nothing greater. But this man was blinded by the riches he had. He was extremely rich. But extremely rich on this earth is a tiny little bit in light of heaven. And he was unable to relinquish what he had for an inheritance that was so much bigger. And so let's contextualize this a little bit. He found more value in his wealth on earth than in heaven. Now, I love food. And uh, in France, we have some incredible food, as you do here. But I think we have a little more. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I'm joking. We had wonderful fish and chips yesterday on the beach. But... When you go to a a Michelin star, a gastronomic restaurant, or a a fancy restaurant, they bring you what we call an amuse-bouche, which is an appetizer. It's it's a mouth teaser. That's a perfect translation. And uh, it's generally the most wonderfully tasting little bite. It's one bite. And it just opens your mouth to the flavors that will come. And I love Amis Bush. I think it's the most, it's the greatest invention. And, um, but wouldn't it be strange if you go, you sit down, you order, they bring you the Amis Bush, and then you get up and say, oh, that was a great meal. Right? You would think you're insane. And you walk out the restaurant, what are you doing? Like the best is yet to come. But we just are satisfied with this little Amis Bush. And this story tells us Jesus came to this man and he said, give me your amuse bush and come follow me. 
and I will give you a feast, not just of one meal, but an eternity of feasts. And, and this man couldn't see it. He just said, I'm not getting rid of my little Amish bush, my precious. Right? Isn't that insane? And that's why Jesus said it is difficult for those who have possessions to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because wealth sometimes blinds us to the things that are of real value. So I want to talk this morning about putting God first. And Jesus spoke of a kingdom of heaven as of greater value than anything this earth could offer. In Matthew 13, he says, This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, a treasure hidden in a field. The man who found it hides it, and in his joy he goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. It's a greater treasure than anything we could possess on the earth. And we need that revelation. We need the, our hearts to be captured again, captivated again by the greatness of who he is and the kingdom of heaven and what he's called us to. And, uh, and it, it says, in joy, he went to sell everything he has. And he bought that field. It's like a privilege Jesus says, go sell everything you have, give the money to the poor. We have great privilege. What a privilege. And um, so let's just talk a little bit. If we don't see the value of a kingdom of heaven, we will always, always struggle with money. And sometimes we get distracted. And, and I'm the same. We're all in the same boat. We get distracted by worldly things. But God wants to shake us heart and say, come on, I have called you to a bigger purpose, to a bigger life than just your little world. I want to give you a feast of eternity, uh, an eternity of feasts. Just trust me with your little amuse bush. You with me? So putting God first. And I want to talk about the tithe. Are you guys okay? Thank you, my friend. The tithe, um, the, the meaning of the word means a tenth. And, uh, and I think that's the first step we can do to put God first, is to bring our tithe to the Lord. So historically, the principle of tithing was part of a lifestyle of a Jewish people. And even other early Christians, it was just part of their lifestyle. We, we say, well, why doesn't the New Testament talk so much about tithing? Well, it was part of their life. They didn't need to address it. It was kind of there. And in Leviticus 27, we read, Every tithe of a land, whether of a seed of a land or of a fruit of a trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And every title, every tithe of herd and flocks, every tenth animal, all that passed under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So we see a couple of things in there that, firstly, it applies to everything. The fruit of the trees, the, the, 
seed of the land, every tenth animal, it applies to everything. It belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. It is dedicated. It is consecrated to Him. It is holy to the Lord. So whatever we receive, the first tenth is holy to the Lord. It is consecrated to Him. It belongs to Him. Now imagine when I leave today, I go back to Paris, and I've packed in my suitcase, don't tell them, but I've packed in my suitcase a certain number of decoration from James and Lisa's home, <laughs> some cutlery, some plates, and uh, my suitcase is a little heavier than I arrived with. And you would say, well, without asking them, you would say, well, that's stealing, isn't it? To take what belongs to another is theft. I didn't do that. I'm tempted, but I, I resisted. But, and that's essentially, if it belongs to him and we use it, it doesn't belong to us. It's theft. I know it's, wow. And that's what Malachi says, Malachi 3, verse 8 to 10. Can a man steal from God? Yet you steal from me. And then you ask, in what way do we steal from you? You steal from me out of a tithes and offering. You are under a curse because all these people, all of you, are robbing me. Isn't that, wow, I'd hate that to be said. So bring your tithes in full to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. So when we use what belongs to the Lord, that's considered theft. And God says, it's the only place, he says, put me to the test. Because he understands it's scary. Now, you may ask, well, that's all under the law. You quoted Leviticus, and I agree, it's a very legitimate question. But I want to say that tithe was way before the law. In fact, we read in Genesis 4, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. Cain did not do that. It says after a while, Cain brought some produce of the field. It wasn't about an animal or a plant. It was about one brought the tithe and one brought a little extra. Here we go, Lord. I'll tip you. And, uh, but Abel brought the firstborn of the flock. Abraham, when he saw Melchizedek, he, um, Abraham gave him a tithe of everything. Now, in Hebrews chapter 7, let's jump to the New Testament, Jesus came in the order, as a, as a priest, in the order of Melchizedek. Now, we, we love the Abrahamic promise, don't we? And we love the fact that we are part of it. I will bless you. Yes, Lord. Here I am. Bless me. I will make your name great. Yes, Lord. 
And, uh, and so we love that thing. But, you know, Abraham went to Melchizedek. He gave him a tithe of everything. We are to go to the high priest that came from the descendants of Melchizedek. And we are to bring our tithe to Jesus as our priest. So if we're going to enjoy the blessing, let's also enjoy the responsibilities. Are you all right? And Jacob, I love that story. That's Jacob saw heaven open. He saw angels coming up and down. And uh, I believe he saw something of a glory of God. And then he said, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Of all that you give me. This was way before the law, friends. And I think tithing is a matter of obedience. It's a matter of faith. But it's also a matter of revelation. When we have revelation, that's what Jacob saw. He had revelation of God. And he says, I will bring a full tenth of all that you give me. And we need that revelation of the greatness of God. But if we don't have it, let's do it by obedience and faith. The reality under the law is that the Israelites, it wasn't 10%, it was about 23%. And because they had three tithes they needed to bring, and one was every three years. And so the tithe, as we understand it in the New Testament, is different to the law. We must look before the law, and then there was a time of of, uh, the law, and Jesus came and closed that parenthesis of the law, and now it's after the law. But we look at before the law, what was done, and we apply the same. But the law gives us a little bit more meat. Um, And then we also see in Scripture this principle of first fruits. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 to 10 says, "Honor, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Who wants that? Who wants your barns to be filled with plenty um, and your vats bursting with grape juice? (laughs) I'm kidding. But friends, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your produce. And and, uh, the Israelites used to bring the first fruit of a harvest to the Lord Three times a year, they used to bring their first fruit, and they used to celebrate the feasts of unleavened bread, and then, uh, which was a reminder that God had provided for them in the desert. And they used to celebrate the feast of the harvest, and we can read this in Exodus 23. It's a wonderful privilege. When we bring our tithes, we shouldn't bring it, oh, gee, I've got a tithe. We should bring it singing and dancing and celebrating because God provides for us. It shouldn't be a heavy topic. It should be a a topic of celebration. Right? To bring the first fruit was an important statement. 
It says, God, you are given the first and the best of, our, of what I have, what you've given me. The best share, the best portion. For we know who you are. We know that all things come from you. We put you first and we trust you with the rest. It's this declaration. God, I put you first and I trust you with the rest. The tithe should be the very first line of our budget. If we wait for it to be the last line of our budget, I guarantee you it's not going to work. It's the very first line of our budget. The tithe, 10% of what I get, belongs to you, Lord. And I trust you with the rest. Now what about the time of Jesus? What did Jesus say about the tithe? You know, Jesus was very courageous, wasn't he? He revolutionized the world. He brought mercy. He included the excluded. He went against the religious systems. He did a lot of things. He restored the place of women and children. He was very countercultural. So I think if he wanted to abolish the tithe, he would have had the courage to do it, and he would have done it very clearly. I think God saw ahead, and he saw the abuse, potentially, that that could bring. And he would have spoken about it if he wanted to abolish it. And that he never did. In fact, we read in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier things of the law. You've neglected justice, mercy, faithfulness. These are the weighty things of the law. You've neglected that. You should have done those things without ne neglecting the others. So Jesus never abolished the tithe. In fact, we read in Hebrews 7, he came in the order of Melchizedek. And go and read it. It speaks about tithing in Hebrews chapter 7. And what about the early church? Because we must also look at the early church. We, we didn't get here by mistake. In fact, the early church, we saw the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. What did they do? They didn't bring the tithe. They sold what they had and brought everything. Laid it at the apostles' feet. It, wasn't, it was no longer 10%. It's now 100%. Here we go, Lord. And, but this is what Irenaeus said about year 130 to 200. The Jews were constrained to regular payment of tithe. Christians who have liberty assigned all their possessions to the Lord bestowing freely not the lesser portion of their property, since they have a hope of greater things. You see, friends, in our hearts, we should say, Lord, it all belongs to you. And Jesus says, come follow me, and we say, yes, Lord, and it's a privilege, and we're willing to lay it all down. But the first step, let's get the first step right. The tithe is holy to you, it belongs to you. And we bring that. With the rest, we pray and we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
with the other 90%. Because it all belongs to him. But what we do, you know, he says he gives seed to the sower and bread to eat. He gives us seed to sow and bread to eat. We end up eating it all. What God has entrusted to us, we are mere stewards. We are not owners. It doesn't belong to us. So we never tithe. We bring it to him. It's holy to him. The other 90%, we say, God, what do you want me to do with it? Some of it is for your food. Some of it is to pay rent. Some of it is for electricity and buy food. But God, all of it belongs to him. And what else do you want me to do with the other 90%? Augustine, 354 to 430 AD, says, Tithes are required as a matter of debt. He who has been unwilling to give them has been guilty of robbery. Whosoever therefore desires to secure a reward for himself, let him render tithes, and out of the nine parts, let him seek to give alms. And that's called what we call free will offering. It's uh, The tithe belongs to God. We don't get a choice in that. We bring it to him. Out of what's left, we say, God, what do you want me to do with it? And we give freely as he directs us. The early church, we are, before I get to the early church, we see the people of God in the Old Testament when there was the, the, the temple to be built in Exodus 36. The people brought so much that there was more than enough. And so the, uh, for doing the work that the Lord had commanded us to do. So the people were restrained from bringing more. I think we need to recover some of that in the church. We should say, actually, guys, you, you are giving too much. We have too much. We don't know what to do. Please stop giving. For the next three weeks, we want no more giving because you guys have given too much. When last did you hear that in the church? But we should because that's, it's a privilege. The church in Philippi, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2-4, says, Out of the abundance of joy... We need to recover some of that in the church too. Their ex- and their extreme poverty. You could say, oh, well, they, they could afford it. No, they couldn't afford it. Overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's, I think that's awesome. It's like, please, please can we give? like, no, we, 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 we're okay. No, no, please, I beg you, please can I give? I want to participate. And if I don't, I'm going to feel left out and unloved, and please let me participate. That should be our attitude as Christians. That's the early church. Are you okay? This is good news. This is... So how do we put God first? Well, we bring the tithe in its entirety. And it comes not where I want it to go. God says, bring it to the storehouse where you are fed. Bring it to the local church so that there will be food 
in my house. And it's, I'll get on to that in a minute. The rest, you are free to do what you want with it. But it doesn't belong to you. So you better ask God, what, what do you want me to do with the rest? And be led by the Spirit of God. And have the privilege of being used by God to touch his people. You can give it into the church. I don't think I don't think God minds when we look after his bride. When I'm away, if someone phones my wife says, Hey, uh, no Fred's away, can I bring you a meal? I'm not gonna be angry. I'm gonna say, oh, gee, that's amazing. I want to be friends with that guy. Or like I, f- I feel touched. When we look after his bride, how do you think Jesus feels? I think he'll, he'll look after us, right? Because he has the capacity to do that. And we can give to the poor. Giving to the poor is equivalent to landing to the Lord. And God is one who will probably pay back, reimburse. <laughs> That's the Bible says if you, when you give to the poor, it's like landing to the Lord. We can give to the gospel and the apostolic work, to church planting. You have a massive privilege, and I know you guys are a generous church. You have a massive privilege. You have connections all around the world, in Kyrgyzstan and in Mongolia and beyond. We, we want to give to the work of spreading the gospel. What a privilege! What about just a lifestyle of radical generosity? That's also what we do with the 90% that are left. We go out to meals, we pick up the bill. Some people like to do the haka when, they, when the bill arrives. Oh, I forgot my wallet. <laughs> no, we, a lifestyle of radical generosity. Now, We know all of this is very scary because we all live with a certain reality. And does God need money? I don't think God needs money. God has everything. He does this for our good. It is more blessed to give than to receive. God wants to set us free from the hold of materialism, from the hold of money, and he wants to take us into something that's greater and greater and greater. And as I mentioned, that's his way to provide for his house. That's his way. You know, pastors burn out because not only they're carrying everyone's problems, but they're also carrying a huge financial pressure. And it shouldn't be like that, and, and of their own, but also of the church. There's rent to be paid. We, you know, I, I would do this whether there's money or no money because I love what I do and I believe in it. And there's a saying in French, uh, how does it go? We don't live on fresh air and love, no? Uh, vivre d'amour et de fresh. We don't just live on love and fresh water. There are realities. We want to live purely on love and fresh water, but at the end of the day, 
Man, my kids are going to say, Dad, I'm hungry. And I said, I'm going to say, yeah, me too. And my landlord's going to come knock. Where's my rent? I said, no, it's just love and fresh water. I'll love you. I'll give you a hug. Oh, no, that's not good. There's just reality, friends. And that's how God provides for his house. Bring the full tithe to the storehouse where you are fed. And if there isn't, you know what it does? It slows the work. It stops the work. It puts huge pressure on the few that give. You okay? We're still friends? You need to take this and go and wrestle with the Lord. So just as a way of illustration, I won't be too much longer. But if, I, if someone were to come and give Vicky, say, I'm going to give you a thousand euros, thousand pounds, sorry, every month for 12 months. And to Brian, I'm going to give you a thousand pounds every month for 12 months. And to Roland, I'm going to give you a thousand pounds every month for 12 months. But I want you to do one thing. I want you to give a hundred each month to my bride, to my fiance. Okay, great. The first month, Vicky faithfully gives a hundred to the, his fiance. Brian does the same. Roland thinks a oh, hundred's a bit much for her. <laughs> I'll give her eighty. And uh, the second month, Vicky thinks, no, man, this is, this is a privilege. I'll give 200 to the fiancé. Brian sticks to the 100. Brian, ah, 80 maybe is a bit much. Let's bring it down to 50. The third month, Vicky gives, it's like, man, she's just the most awesome fiancé there is. I'll give her 300. And Brian says, no, I'll be faithful. I'll give her 100. And Roland decides, actually, there's a trip coming up. I'll skip this month. And so on and so on. What happens when the groom returns? And he says to his bride, so I provided for you. So are you okay? And she says to him, well, Vicky was just awesome. She really looked after me. She gave way over uh, Brian was faithful. He was there. Wonderful. Roland, oish. Don't trust a Welshman. <laughs> How do you think Jesus will feel? He'll say to Vicky, well, geez, you've, you've looked after my bride. I'm no longer going to give you a thousand. I'm going to give you ten thousand every month, because I know my bride will be looked after, right? And what do you think he's going to say to Roland? I love you, but jeepers! <laughs> and that's how we are, friends. God entrusts us with things, and He says the tenth belongs to the Lord. Bring it to the storehouse. Look after my bride, so that there will be enough food in the house. Now, I know it's scary because it's a lot. And we, we may ask, can I afford it? Will I have enough to live on? What if God doesn't come through? 
What if I can't pay the rent at the end of a month? These are all legitimate questions. And I promise you, every single one of us will ask ourselves the same questions. But we may also ask, is the money well managed? That's also a legitimate question. But you know, when I came into the church and I heard this teaching, I resolved. I said, God, if the money is well managed or not, it's none of my business. I will trust you. I will do my part. I will bring it into the storehouse. And I will let the elders give an account to you one day in eternity. And I know you have ways and means to deal with them. But I'm going to trust you. Because I also trusted the elders with my soul and my spiritual growth and my marriage. And they prepared us for marriage and all kinds of things. I opened my life to them. So why would I not trust them with finances? Now, if you don't trust your leaders with finances, maybe you should find another church where you can trust people. Don't leave this church. This is a trustworthy couple. We've known them for 12 years. We know how they lived. We've been in their home. There's no fancy sports car parked outside their house. Friends, they're trustworthy people. We've seen some of your finances. We don't know who gives, who doesn't. But we've seen some of your finances as we've walked with you guys in this thing and prayed for you. I think this is a trustworthy house. But it's very legitimate to ask the question, will I have enough? Because it is scary. So I preached on this about a year ago, a bit more, in our church. And a single mother wrote to me, that night, on Sunday night, she says to me, tithing is such a delicate subject. Subject, It is scary not to have a balanced budget. And I don't hide from you, but I am in this fear. If I give the tithe at the level it should be, being all alone to be able to meet my son's needs, I'm aware that saying this betrays a lack of trust in God. Since I am not alone, our Heavenly Father is there for us. What a dilemma. She's a single mom. She's saying, I've heard this teaching. Wow, I'm in a dilemma. I have needs. My budget doesn't balance. I don't know what to do. So I replied and I said, just seek the Lord. Follow him. I'm, I'm praying for you. Please just. This is scary. It's a scary teaching this thing because if people react on this, it's like, I have faith for me, but sometimes I don't have faith for others. And, no, I do. But the next morning, she writes to me again. She says, I wanted to share with you that the teaching of yesterday's service touched me, not having really known this dimension until now. I meditated on the word rather late last night. Putting God first is indeed the basics. How can there be a dilemma? As I explained to you, it's a step of faith, a step of obedience that I took by coming to La Cité, our church. I, who had never been to a church before, so it is an additional step I am taking today by deciding to give back to God what belongs to Him. I have modified my monthly budget 
And my first line is entitled Tithe, 10% of my salary. It will take place on the 10th of every month, starting this April 2022. And Faithfully, every month, it comes. And it, she hasn't missed one. And every time it comes, I pray, God, provide for her. Provide for a son, single mom. So a few weeks later, I, I, I wrote to her, I said, Georgia, her name's not Georgia. We don't have a Georgia in our church. <laughs> I said, how are you doing financially? Because I'm concerned. She says to me, you know what? My budget balances. And God has provided. Friends, we don't understand this. When we put God first, we're saying we trust you with the rest. And somehow, always, he comes through and he provides. And then there are those promises. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, we read, Honor the Lord of your wealth, the first fruit of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. Malachi three ten, Bring the full tithe to the storehouse. That there will be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I don't know about you. I want the windows of heaven opened over my home. This is putting God first. In a very practical way, in a very scary way, honoring God, the first fruits of all your income, the promise he will take care of us, not just with leftovers, but with generosity and abundance. So just in conclusion, if you're doing this already, I want to commend you. Keep trusting God. If you're not, I want to invite you to step out your comfort zone and trust him. Put him first and trust him with the rest. Those who do it will have a testimony. You will never have a testimony unless you do that. I hope that's helpful. I love you guys. I know this is a scary teaching. But uh, it's the word of the Lord and it sets us free. God bless you. Thank you, Fred. A challenging message, same as yesterday, but um, a necessary one. And so thank you, Fred, for your courage. It's not easy preaching a message like that in a church that's not where you regularly pastor and people don't always know your heart. So thank you so much for your obedience to that. And thank you for, thanks for joining Fred on the trip. It's been wonderful to have you. Um, so there's tea and coffee through next door. If your children are through in the children's ministry, you need to go there. But just a reminder of the three things that Fred said, I think is incredibly important. Have an eternal perspective. And I think that's true for every aspect of our lives. Have an eternal perspective. Otherwise, we get caught up in so many 
things that go around, especially in the world we live in with everything we're facing. Have an eternal perspective. Don't be afraid. God is always faithful. He's always with you. And then today's one of stepping out in faith, being obedient to him and putting him first in everything. In everything. Today, Fred spoke spoke mainly... not even French, <laughs> spoke mainly with regards to finance. But actually the issue is the heart. That's the issue, is our heart. Is our heart first and foremost for God in every area, especially in this. Wonderful. I'm going to pray and then we're going to finish. Father, I thank you that you love us so much. You don't just leave us to wander off and meander aimlessly, but you give us your word and you give us your spirit. And um, you are always with us. And so, Lord, even as we've heard these things today and yesterday that are challenging, Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us. You've given us your word, which is true. You've given us your spirit to enable, to empower, to strengthen, to guide, to lead. And so, Lord, I pray that as we ponder on these things, as we wrestle with these things, I pray for every single person, those who are here today and those who are not with us this morning, that they would search you, Lord Jesus. And find you faithful. But Lord, that each one of us would have a testimony in every area of our lives because we have stepped out in faith. And so Lord, we fix our gaze on you. We surrender to you. We put you first in every area. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.